Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Oh, come on. That's not good. That is not even close to a strike, Paul Nart. Oh. So there's your final six to five. That low light courtesy of Fox Sports Arizona, and you know what that music means. As we come back in on Hit and Run on the Score, Barry Rosner, Joe Ostrowski, it means it's time to go out to the Score Hotline, where we're joined by Mike Farron of MLB Network Radio. He's also the pre- and post-host for the Diamondbacks. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore Farron. Good morning, Mike Farron. Good morning, Gary Rosner, Joe Ostrowski, what a pleasure to be with you this morning. That is the least sincere um, thank you and uh, introduction uh, after we introduce you that I think you've ever given us, and and you've done it many times before. I think I, I, I've always been fond of the line, sincerity, I can fake that. <laughs> Well, I don't know why you dislike me so much, honestly. I love um, you, Roz. Are you kidding? We, How uh, long have we known each other? A long time. And uh, we worked Too together long. at WGN, and it seemed like you uh, did not like me very much then. And maybe that was just Stop. me. Stop. <laughs> um, so what's, it, there's so much happening in that division right now. Obviously, with uh, the crazy Rockies winning streak, the Diamondbacks trying to make some things happen on the trade market and uh, the Dodgers, obviously, uh, with the huge move. Um, what? Do, how is it shaping up for you right now with all of this happening, given that we're, what, nine days away from the trade deadline? Yeah, I think there's a little bit of wait and see right now. I mean, I think, I think if the D-backs are active as buyers, then it's likely in the relief pitching market. Um, I think it's probably more like relief pitching rentals to try and bolster the bullpen. It's been a, a pretty good bullpen over the course of the season. Um, but I also think that, you know, really, it's been a roller coaster ride for this team all year. So, like, they had a great April, miserable May, great June, they're 6 and 10 in July. And now find themselves, what, a game and a half out in the division, two and a half back in the wild card race, too. And, and you know, after today against Colorado, who's you know, one three straight or four straight shooting from the D backs. Um, you know, they go to Chicago to take on the Cubs for four. So it's kind of a crossroads, I think, for Arizona in their season. So I think it's probably more like you're monitoring the buying market and waiting to see what happens over the next week or so. Um, and if things continue to trend in the wrong direction, there's a chance that they could pivot. Um, but you know, listen, that that division, as you pointed out, is up for grabs. I and mean, I don't think the Dodgers are uh, even with the addition of Machado or an unbeatable team, despite Ross Stripling's uh, uh, characterization that everybody should be demoralized by the addition of Manny Machado, I don't think anybody in the West is demoralized. And Colorado's playing really well. And they, they I think their bullpen that they spent all that money on has pitched much better because they've gotten much better starting pitching over the last month. And that's been a big 
change for them. And, you know, the, the Giants are still lurking as well. So, um, you know, it could kind of go either way. I think the, the safe money is on, you know, all those things being buyers and probably all buyers in the relief market as we get towards July 31st. But, you know, things can change in a week at this point in the season. Mike, were you surprised that after talking about it all season long, the Machado trade finally goes down, and it was really, it seems to be about the quantity uh, more so than the quality. They got one guy that's that's in, in the top 100, but not a top 75, according to a lot of rankings. And then you're seeing the relief pitching that's moved on, and it seems like you're getting better prospects that way. No, I'm not surprised by it, because I think that that's what we've seen historically. I mean, rental bats just don't get you a whole lot of the deadline. Arizona went through that last year when they when they got J.D. Martinez. And yep. Granted, the market for Martinez was more limited than the market was for Machado. But, you know, like, go back and start – go back and start looking at bats that were, you know, that only have, like, eight to ten weeks of control left. And look at what those those deals brought in terms of a prospect return. Um, you know, Joanna Cespedes has got Michael Fulmer back, who had a great rookie season, but has been pretty uneven for Detroit since then. And, you know, was at the back end of a top 100 at that point. Um, you know, Sean Manaya was traded for Ben Zobris. That was a pretty good return. Um, you go back even further, like, the, I think – I was looking you can go back. To, you can go back to Beltran years. and the impact he had, and that was most sure. of the season. Uh, well, but they didn't give up June. much, right? Yeah, exactly, and I think it's a great point. Um, you know, like maybe the best in terms of rental bat for highest ceiling guy would be the Beltran for Wheeler deal when Beltran went to the Giants. Like that one was interesting. But even like when Matt Holiday got traded from the A's to the Cardinals. The biggest prospect in that deal was Brett Wallace, and I think he's the one that's been the highest-rated prospect that's been dealt for a rental bat, and he was somewhere in the 20s. And the Cardinals obviously knew that Brett Wallace wasn't going to develop at that point into a top-flight third baseman, which was a hope when they drafted him out of ASU. So I'm not surprised. And this is really cool if you go back and look. You guys follow Mike Petriello, right, from MLB.com. He does the StatCast stuff. Yes. He, he had this list the other day, and this is you know using wins above replacement. And talking about, it, since the trade deadline was moved back to July 31st, so it's been 32 years, um, the players that were having the best seasons are on pace for the best seasons, uh, and when, you know, in terms of wins above replacement when they were dealt. So if you go back and look at that list that he has, the guys that got the biggest returns were all pitchers. Randy Johnson was number one on that list. When he went to Houston, it was Carlos Guillen and, and Freddie Garcia, right? Like, huge return in that. Uh, you know, did CC Sabathia going from Milwaukee to Milwaukee? Uh, Matt Laporta was the best prospect at the time, but they got Michael Brantley in that deal. Uh, Cliff Lee is on there a couple of different times. You know, when he went from Cleveland to Philadelphia, they ended up with Carlos Carrasco. So uh, Justin Smoke went the other time, and Smoke was a really well-regarded prospect at the time. So it's it's pretty universal in that for whatever reason, even though they can impact you on a daily basis, rental bats don't get you very much the trade deadline. Pitching, and especially guys that can start, you know, game one or two of a playoff series, or guys that are bona fide as closers, will be able to get you more. This hour on the score is brought to you by Cars for Kids. Call one eight seven seven Cars for Kids. Number one need for the Diamondbacks. Um, I think it's probably well, well, so number one target, or what I think the number one need. What do you think they should do? I think the number one need is a starting pitcher. But I think it's somebody that's in that that could start one of the first three games of a playoff series, and the farm system I don't think is strong enough to be able to necessarily acquire one. Who's of those even teams. out and there? I don't think who, it makes who, any sense who's even out there that could be a, a top well, three starter? 
so you have to start talking about guys who are under years of control, right? So you have to start talking about guys like Chris Archer. Um, you know, you, before he got hurt, Fulmer's name probably would have been on that list. Uh, you know, if Baltimore really is moving guys, Osman Bundy, those those uh, players, the problem is that the cost of that is so exorbitant that their system isn't in a spot where they can they can handle A, the hit, or B, have the depth to be able to do that, and two of their best prospects in Duplantier and Varsho are both hurt. So it's, it's a real challenge. I don't think that that player's acquirable for them right now. Um, they might be, you know, in another year or in this winter, there might be somebody that they could make that move for. But that, to me, has been the biggest story with Arizona is that the, the starting pitching since Memorial Day hasn't been great. And this is a team that was built around starting pitching and defense. And really, it's been the bullpen and the offense the last, you know, two months that have, have carried the load for them. Everybody wants Zach Britton. Everybody's in on Zach Britton. Is it going to be the Dodgers again? I don't think so. I, I don't know. I, I mean, it's really tough to get a gauge on what Baltimore's doing. We, we hear... Uh, they're close, right? They're close, which means we're probably in another 10 days of public negotiation as to who's leading, who isn't, who's leading, who isn't. I know the Cubs are involved. I know the Astros are involved. But Baltimore is a pretty unique style in that the, you, you make a trade proposal and then you may not hear back from Dan Duquette for a number of days. And I think part of it is that he wants to – well, I think part of it is a negotiation strategy. He wants you to panic. You know, he wants you to increase the offer. And he will try and be vague as to you know where you are in the pecking order um, until he can drill down to get the player that he wants to headline the package. And that's what happened in the Machado talks, you know, getting your snail Diaz to, to anchor it. Um, so he's kind of waiting to see where they're at. Uh, I know that they would like to get something done quickly, but I would guess that it's probably another week before he moves. Um, and it does seem like, and this is, I think is interesting, um, because Peter Angelos, has ceded much of the day-to-day control to his sons, it does seem to be operating in a much more conventional fashion than maybe it has in Baltimore in the past, where ownership approval comes much quicker and without uh, as many hurdles thrown up as it has been maybe a year ago when teams were trying to acquire Zach Britton. Do you think San Francisco is going to operate like they're right there in the mix, like, like it's one or one and a half like it is for the Rockies and Diamondbacks? Yeah, I think that they do. I mean, I don't see them as being like it's just not in their DNA to sell. Like that's not they're not right. interested in rebuild. They're not interested in any of that. They're trying to take advantage of um, the fact that they still have Posey Bumgarner in their prime. And and you know what? Like I can't fault them for it. And it's worked better to this point than I thought it was going to. Um, so I think that those are positives. You know, for for San Francisco, absolutely. I think that they look to add. Um, I think they're probably looking at the starting pitching market. Um, you know, they they you know, may not be necessarily looking at the sexiest names. But, I mean, again, like you pointed out, Ross, I mean, the, the starting pitching market's not that great. I mean, like, who are we looking at? Nathan Avaldi, uh, Tyson Ross, Jay Half, right? Like, those are your those are your best available starting pitchers, most likely. So I could see them going that route to try and flush out that rotation some. But they would have to have whoever they deal with eat most of the rest of the money because they're this close to staying under the luxury tax threshold, which allows them to reset going into next winter. He's Mike Farron from the MLB Network. He is also the Diamondbacks pre- and post-host. When you uh, look at the National League in general now, Mike, uh, I you know if <laughs> you can handicap it, good luck to you. Um, 
I mean, the, look, the, the, we know what everybody knows what the Cubs are. They're obviously very good. They should win their division, but the state of their starting rotation is is scary, and uh, it, there doesn't seem to be much change in it over the last few days coming out of the break. They don't know when you Darvish is coming back. Given that, what? Uh, how do you how do you view the National League? I mean, I think they're the favorites still. I think it's a really good team. I think they're they're you know I think their starters haven't pitched up to their capabilities with the exception of Lester, who I know he had a, a stinker the other day, but John Lester's been pretty good. Um, you know, I think I think they're they're probably the team to beat, or really they are the team to beat. I think in my mind, I think Los Angeles is probably next in the pecking order on that, and then after that. Your guess is as good as mine because I think you have a lot of teams that are in a similar uh, that all have significant flaws, and so that goes Philadelphia, Atlanta, um, Milwaukee, uh, St. Louis, um, and the four teams in the National League West, and then throw I guess Washington into the mix, who's been the most disappointing team in baseball at this point because they still have a lot of talent, but they've basically played. I think since the last time they moved into first place, they had like a half game lead. They played like three fifty seven ball and like that's over the span of six weeks or so like they have just not been good um and that would be an interesting seller by the way if they decided that they were like listen we're just going to have to reset and go after it next year and and punt they've got some guys that would be of interest including Gio Gonzalez and Ryan Matson and maybe maybe Bryce Harper if they were to really go down that road but um you know I think I think that when you start to try and pick apart all of those teams I think it's just too close to call because there's like Philly's offense is disappointing, and they play lousy defense. But they've got really good starting pitching, and they've got a dominant reliever at the back end in Sir Anthony Dominguez. Atlanta, you know, is their pitching going to hold up? Their offense has come back down to earth. They're dynamic and young. Can they hold around? You know, Milwaukee uh, finally hit its first skid here. Like right? they had what an eight-game losing streak coming into yesterday. So, like they're an okay team, but they're not great, and they could probably use offensive help, and they could probably use starting pitching help, and. You know, like the, you see the Cardinals a lot, right? I mean, what the hell is that team? Like, it's an imperfect <laughs> roster, right? Like, it, that, 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 the thing that's so frustrating about watching St. Louis is that they have Whoops. together the same roster right. over and over again every year, and it just doesn't seem to fit together. It leads them to a lot of 84-win seasons. And the thing is kind of the, the, the in the West, you know, like, okay, what happens if Colorado's bullpen goes through another downturn? What happens there, you know? What happens when the back half of that lineup cools off a little bit? Because I don't think it's the deepest lineup, you know? Like, there's, there's, Arizona's going through it right now. We just talked about it. They're starting pitching, which wasn't supposed to be bad, has been bad. It's really tough to handicap outside of those top two teams, I think, in the, in the National League. After adding Hand and Simber, am I crazy for thinking the four best teams now in baseball might be in the American League? I mean, you might, you might say the five best, even. Wow. I mean, like, I mean, I said Oakland's pretty good. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have watched the A's <laughs> yeah. at all, but if you stay up late, watch them because that's a really fun team. And adding Familia to the back end, I mean, that Trevino trying and Familia to finish games, that's some petrol, man. That's a really, really good back end of the bullpen. And they're getting great work out of Trevor Cahill because I know you guys predicted that this season. Yeah, but, absolutely. Um, it was nice to see people you know, in, nice to see people in their ballpark last night. Fifty-six thousand. How about they sold out Mount Davis? Yes, like that was that was really cool. Um, you know, so like like I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's 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 so weird to see the disparity between the leagues, right? Like the like the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Astros, clearly the best. Cleveland is 
really good, and their record is going to be probably better than what they are because of the division that they play in. And, you know, I like Oakland's team. I like Oakland a little bit better than Seattle. Um, you know, Seattle's kind of – Seattle would be a great story. I mean, it's been 17 years since I've been to the playoffs, but I, I really like the way Oakland is trending. Um, you know, I don't know who – I mean, I guess the Cubs kind of match up with Oakland and maybe Cleveland in that mix, but I don't know that anybody else in the National League comes, it comes close to the top part of the AL. Yeah, well, people get mad at us all the time for talking about the strength of the American League versus the National League as though it's an insult to the Cubs. It just happens to be what it is. I mean, it just yeah, happens I mean, to be the way it is. You're going to have a 100-win team playing in a wild card game, <laughs> and if they lose, I mean, it's going to be either the Red Sox. Or the Red Sox are on pace for 112 wins, 112. Wow. And that's in a division where they're going to have another 100-game winner. Like, I mean, it's crazy. And it, and it's, listen, and part of it is that, like, we're in this really weird spot competitively, right? Most of the teams that have gone through the major rebuilds are just coming out of it. They're in the spot where, like, the Cubs were in 2013 or 14, right? Where they're at the depths of it, but they're, that they're coming out. And there's just not, like, they've traded away all of their you know, potentially competitive talent for the most part. And so they're, there's a lot of wins to be stacked at the bottom of the league. And I think that that's a, that's a big reason why you start to see some of these enormous win totals is that we've seen a basically class divide between the haves and the have nots. And it's, it's the Ricky Bobification of baseball. If you ain't first, you're last. Why talked about that when he took over, right? Like there's no, what's the difference between 85 losses and 95 losses? You know, 95 is probably better. You get more money to spend on amateur players. We talked about it earlier, uh, just the the lack of top-end starting pitching that's probably going to be a part of this uh, market over the next week and a half. Why why aren't we talking seriously about Chris Archer going somewhere? Well, I mean, I think we are now. I mean, I think that, I think that you know, Tampa, if not anything else, is opportunistic, right? So um, there's a good chance that you could see Archer move. But the cost of acquisition for him for four pennant races is pretty high, and I think the way that they have him valued and the way they're marketing him um, in a trade doesn't necessarily match up with the way he's pitched over the last year. You know, I mean, he's, he's a guy that everybody looks at top flight stuff, top flight human being, um, you know, smart dude, like everything you want in the package, except the results really haven't been there for a little while. And maybe it's just a change of environment that helps that. Maybe it's like the Garrett Cole deal. But I do think that because of that, you're going to have you're going to see that. The problem, the other problem is that, like outside of say Atlanta, maybe the Yankees, who are the teams that have really deep farm systems that are in contention? It's like none. I mean, like I would, I was talking to somebody yesterday. I would say that there is at least if Archer gets moved, one of the teams that may acquire him would be San Diego, and mm. San Diego is trying to build to open their competitive window. I think they're hoping the second half of 19. They've got some really good young players coming and Urias and Tatis. And now they're training for Francisco Mejia. And like, they've got these pieces that they, that they feel like are going to be part of their next nucleus, but they need kind of top flight starters. And they also have a deep enough farm system that they could move them. So you're also talking about potentially the best pitcher that's on the market who the teams that are best positioned to acquire them are teams like San Diego or, say, the White Sox or somebody like that who has a really, really deep system. Well, that doesn't help the pennant race at all. Right. Um, that's interesting. I hadn't even considered that, but um, I, that makes sense. 
That makes a lot of sense. Before we let you go, some some guys under control. I mean, you mentioned a few names, and uh, most of those were not appealing to me, Mike Farron. Do you have any appealing names for me uh, for pitchers, <laughs> starters who are under control but would probably be expensive, and we're not talking about any of the Mets pitchers? Yeah, I mean, I'd say Dylan Bundy. I mean, I think there's a chance that Baltimore really is blowing it up, and that's what it sounds like they're doing. I think Dylan Bundy's a really attractive trade piece. Now, I don't think he's going to get dealt with the line. I think that's more the winter, but that guy's pretty damn good. Um, I would say that he is probably, you know, the the best of the controllable pitchers between, you know, how much uh, money you would have to spend on him to, to, you know, over the next three years and the cost of acquisition. I think that that's, you know, that's a guy that you really could, um, you know, you could kind of build around. But other than that, I mean, you know, Michael Fulmer's a good pitcher, but he's hurt, you know, and like they're going to go into this next winter probably playing the is Michael Fulmer available, is he not available game again. Um, but I don't know that he's necessarily that sexy a name. I mean, I think, you know, Dick Rahm is more likely to be moved in the winter once they get all of that figured out in what what the Mets front office is going to look like, um, especially if they're not going to extend it because his agent basically laid down the gauntlet. The All-Star break and said, you know, extend me your trade. So, um, and I know he would probably argue the semantics of that, but come on, if you boil it down to it, that's what it said. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, I I don't I don't have I wish I had a sexy name for it. I don't even have any sexy rental names for it. You know. Well, I mean, unless Arizona goes out and struggles this week, and then you know, I don't know, Patrick Corbin, like that. That's actually kind of a sexy name on the yeah. market. You know, yeah. but but if they go out, if they come into Chicago and they take three out of four from the Cubs, and they go to San Diego and they sweep the Padres, I mean, they're talking about adding. You know, then they might be pushing more of their what chips they have under the table to be able to to, you know, try and win the West. So it's, it's there's a lot of teams that are stuck in the middle that have good pieces. Heck, St. Louis could have been one of those with Carlos Martinez before he went on the DL. Yep, absolutely. Mike, you in town this week? I am. Are you going to be in the ballpark this week? Uh yeah, I'll stay away from the visitors' radio booth. <laughs> well, I, I, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to come sit right next to you for three hours in the main press box. Wow, that, no room in the he, he sits next to Grobstein. I do not sit next to Les Grobstein, but that would be a good spot for you, Mike Farron. I think that, that I, I listen. I was uh, once in the uh, the level of media member in Chicago that sat next to Grobber, so I've I've been there. That's a I fine. That. That's a that's a fine group over in that Hoffman. section. Yeah, it used to be George and Jesse <laughs> yeah. and Grobber and George Castle, and uh, who am I leaving out? Uh, this is oh. like media PTSD. Yeah. Oh, Not and, Schuster. and Schuster. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Schuster. Schuster. Oh, Schuster. Yeah. And, the and they they would all argue about every call on the field <laughs> and yell at the official scorer that it was wrong. Yeah. And that's what they would do for the whole game. Mike Farron, you're the best. Thank you very much. I'll see you at the ballpark this week. No problem, guys. Always a pleasure, and I look forward to seeing you, rest. That's Mike Farron. He is the Diamondbacks pre- and post-host, and you also hear him every day on MLB Network Radio. He does a terrific job. When we come back, Joe... Let's get to the White Sox, and there's still that. There's <laughs> still never two and a half hours. I'm really sorry about it's that. Okay, and uh, we got that Lester audio. We have to get to as well. Um, this open score update is brought to you by the Grand Geneva Resort. 
and Spa. Play championship golf in Lake Geneva. Visit GrandGenevaGolf.com. This leaderboard. Oh, this is madness. It's, Just madness. It's uh, it's absolute insanity. Tiger has gone uh, double and then bogey, so he's down to four under. Only two shots off the lead. Yeah. In the lead is a tie between McElroy, Molinari, Schauffele, and Spieth. Eddie Pepperell, who finished... What, three hours ago? Um, did you see his quotes? No. Did he leave? Did he leave the golf course? No. He was quoted as saying, when I showed up, I was so hungover. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. And he went out and shot uh, He shot up four under to get to five under. The best that I see on the leaderboard of the day. Oh, by far. Yeah, not even close. It's not even close. There's... Yeah, I mean, you got to go down forty spots. I I don't think anybody on the board is is in that neighborhood. But, so there uh, are twelve golfers within two shots, of, and one of, of the and, top. and one of them is Eddie Pepperell, who finished three hours ago, and he's one shot out of the lead. See, and the way this is Danny Willett all over again. The way fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, and seventeen play, I I, I mean, five under is a serious score right now. Come on, because, Rose. My rose. Because getting home is no picnic. So, I mean, F- yeah, Finau's, well, he's finished, so he's out because he's a shot back. Fleetwood's back in this. Yeah, he is four under. Got three holes left. Kuchar's in this. 16, 17, and 18 are just brutal. The way the wind's blowing. Well, that's why uh, we were talking about during the last break. That's why I jumped on Rose because... He's killed those uh, last few holes this yeah, week. That's ridiculous because coming home is is just uh, it's car nasty. Again, that's what it is, Joe Ostrowski. Rory, Molinari, Chapel, Shoffley, Spieth, all tied for the lead. Well, it speaks to where Rory is that he's got to come from behind because near the lead he's been terrible this year. Uh, that includes tournaments in the states. That includes the Masters. That includes tournaments on the European Tour. Uh, it speaks to Justin Rose, who, what do I always say about him, Joe? He's a pick-up-the-pieces guy. Yep. That's all he does. He'll never... He's he'll not going to lead and run away. Nope. But but if you if you fall back to him, he'll beat you. That's what he does. Shoffley and Spieth are three over today, and they're tied for the lead. This is, uh, this is madness. Sheer madness, which is the title of... Uh, what was that, a play? Is that a play, Eli? Yeah, what, talk I about know, that for a second. I know, talk about that for a second. I know we need to break, Eli. I know we're late. Uh, when we come back, we'll, uh, I don't know what we'll do. I suppose we'll try to get to that White Sox stuff. Yeah, which... that's what you've been saying. Why you blame me? Why is everything my fault? This is like being at home, honestly. Uh, you've got Joe Ostrowski and Barry Rosner on Hit and Run on the score. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Hit and Run is brought to you by Northwestern Football. Coach Fitz and the Cats host Michigan, Nebraska, Wisconsin, Notre Dame, and more this fall at Ryan Field. Season and single game tickets are on sale now at nesports.com. And the bottom of the hour is brought to you by Aaron Hills Golf Course in southeast Wisconsin. A traditional walking-only course appeals to avid golfers. Few artificial distractions for day trips or overnight getaways. Aaron Hills is your next golf destination. Play, stay, eat, and meet at the site of the 2017 U.S. Open. Business or pleasure, AaronHills.com, E-R-I-N-Hills.com.
Hills.com. I like me some Aaron Hills. Got to get there. Got to get there someday. Got to see that. Got to play that. Uh, and uh, probably suffer quite a bit. Would be <laughs> my, so? Would be my guess. But yeah. you know what? That's... Look, if I played St. Andrews or Carnoustie, I would suffer as well. But mm-hmm. I but just want to do it. Just want to experience that. Joe, do you think Avi Garcia wow. has done enough now with No. No? Mm-hmm. You're not you're not interested. Well, here's here's the thing. I mean, 9 homers in 14 games and obviously when healthy, he's been really good. That's the problem. That's why I say no. Okay, has he done enough on the field? When he's on the field, absolutely. But the problem is uh, this year with the hamstring multiple times, last year with the wrist, um, a couple of different injuries last year. It's he, He's proven he can't stay on the field for you. So why am I going to make a move for a guy? Uh, availability is more important than anything else, and he just can't be there for you. Um, there, was a, uh, there was a Bob Nightingale tweet this week about uh, Jose Abreu. Uh, and the White Sox have decided that Jose Abreu will not be traded. Oh, they just decided that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that is not breaking news. Uh, I don't think anybody thought that Jose Abreu was going to be traded. I think that would have happened last winter if it was going to happen, correct? I mean, this year, what's his what's his value? Okay. Well, he's got a year and a half left. There's still some value there. Right, but how has he performed this year? Uh, well, it was a great start. It was in a pretty bad June. So, but but historically, power wise, it really picks up in the second half. And he, he's a, he's a really good professional hitter that you would think would be a nice DH for a playoff team that needs a DH. Right. Who is that? Yeah, we've talked about Houston as a possibility. <laughs> Man. <laughs> They don't, they don't need. Well, any. what else do they need? I know I'm laughing because I'm thinking, yeah, that's just what they need another hitter. That, well, that they've been that's been discussed there. They're going to do something. I'm just going to stand pat because what playoff teams really well, do? Well, they they need Zach Britton is what they need. Yeah. Just, why why is it? it yesterday? Heyman, I know Heyman says everybody, but what was it? Six teams he put out there that are in on Zach Britton. <laughs> okay. Like, yeah, I'm sure. No kidding. I was like the Machado stuff between Rosenthal and Heyman. They yeah, had know, they had Machado going to every single team in Bay. Hour by hour, they're going. To, they're, he's going to the Brewers. Then he's going to the Dodgers. Got it then covered. He's, then he's going to the Indians. Then he's going. I mean, it, changing every fifteen minutes. Right. Nightingale's the only one who got that right. Nightingale said Dodgers. It will be the Dodgers. Hey, give the man credit. It's a good scoop. Can I give him credit for his other tweets this week? No, he had some. <laughs> Some, he tweeted. <laughs> we got our Milwaukee guy coming up next. Uh, he tweeted uh, a picture oh, of, of the of the Brewers' full support of Josh Hader. What Eli? What? You look disgusted. Always disgusted at Bob Nightingale. Disgusted. I thought you. I thought, you, I, thought I thought you were disgusted with me, or is it Shane? You might be disgusted with Shane, who's in the room. That'd be my guess. Well, that's not. That is no way, Shane. Please, it's no way to behave. The um, the tweet was a picture of five white brewers standing behind Josh Hader, and the tweet said, 
Uh, Josh Hader has the. No, com- it did not say Josh Hader. Josh Harder. Harder. Yeah, that's right. It said Josh Harder has the complete support of the entire Brewers team. And it showed five white guys standing behind him. And it's never the tweet as much as the responses to yes. Bob's tweets that are so much fun. Yes. They are so spectacular. I always I suggest you follow just for the for the comedy value. But he did hey, he got Machado right, and he's the only one who got it right. So good for him. All right. Um when we come back, we will talk to Rami Makloof. Did I get them both right that time? Rami Makloof. 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 But do the ma and the dash. And why, the don't you, uh, why don't you bring him in, Joe, since you seem to know his name. We will do that next here. He's a, uh, he's a radio host up in Milwaukee. Eli says he's fantastic. So we will talk to him next about the Brewers and maybe a little Dodgers, too, here on Hit and Run on the Score. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You know, I'm sorry for, for what I, what I uh, did, did back in the day and the mistakes that I made and um, that they were a family to me and that they, they aren't meaning like what I meant. That's the voice of Josh Hader as he apologized to his teammates and to the world a couple of days ago in front of his teammates. Let's find out just how all that went. Right now, it's time to go out to the score hotline where we're joined by Rami Mukloof, co-host of the big show on Milwaukee Sports Radio 105.7. You can follow him on Twitter at Rami Mukloof is tweeting. And you can hear him right now on Hit and Run. Good morning, Rami. Thanks for being here. Morning, guys. Anytime. My pleasure. So how did it go for Josh Hader, and what was the response? I saw the response of the fans last night, but how did it go from a media standpoint and from a teammate standpoint? Well, his teammates really came out and backed him, guys. And, and when this whole thing broke, I said, you know, let's not just chalk this up to being young and dumb. There, there's, there's quoting rap lyrics, and there's using language that – you shouldn't be using and that's to me that's being young and dumb but then some of those tweets there was just hate and anger behind them and prejudice and that's not something that we can just chalk up to to youthful ignorance because we've all been young and dumb we haven't all been hateful and 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 prejudiced and and so i think it goes deeper than that but when when his teammates and especially his teammates who who are african-american and hispanic come out and back him the way that he did you know, guys, I, I have to believe that people can learn from, from their mistakes and can become better people and can change. And I think that the the volume and, and the, the emphaticness that, that his teammates came out and, and supported him and said, that's not who this guy is today. I have to take Josh Hader and his teammates at, at their word until until we see evidence otherwise. I have to I have to think that Josh Hader has moved on from that point in his life and, and is a better person right now. But I don't know necessarily that this is what everybody is talking today, that a standing ovation from from the the hometown crowd when he comes out of the bullpen for the first time is necessarily the uh, the best reaction from the Milwaukee fan base, uh, given given the seriousness of what happened and, and how recent we just learned about it. That reaction at the game last night, was that in line with what you were hearing at the radio station via social media, just fans checking in on their thoughts over the past few days? Um, it's been it's been somewhat mixed. 
Um, some people want to, you know, just dismiss it outright and say we in the media and, and some of the fans are, are blowing this out of proportion. And this was just a young kid who said some stupid stuff on Twitter and who hasn't said something stupid at that age and, that, and at that point in their life. Some people want to dismiss it that quickly and that easily. Others were saying along the lines of what I was saying, which is that it's it's more serious than that. Let's see how he handles it, but let's all be ready to to, to forgive and, and move on from this. And then you had other people who were a little bit more hard-lined against it and didn't seem to really want to, at any point, forgive Josh Hader or move on. So it's it's been divided. It's been somewhat of a, a split reaction amongst Brewers fans. And I do have to say that from, from people who were at the game last night, both people who were working the game amongst the media and, and other other people who were attending it just as fans who I've talked to today, the standing ovation and the, the applause that Josh Hader received from the crowd was maybe not as unanimous as as it might be being portrayed today hmm. in, in some media outlets. There were plenty of people who decided to, to not not participate in that and just sat in their seats and uh, and took things in quietly. Do you know him at all? No, not not on any not on any serious level, you guys. I'd be lying lying if I said I did. I've I've interviewed him a few times, both face to face and and over the phone. But I think I think you guys can even say that the the instances in which we in the media, even with the access that we're given to these guys, really know who a guy is, and we really do more than scratch the surface. Those are few and far between, especially when a guy has something to hide like Josh Hader, maybe had to hide. And, and here, in, here in Wisconsin, and this is a really, really drastic example of this, you guys, and I'm not comparing what Josh Hader said to what this guy did, but here in Wisconsin, the best and only example you need to, to illustrate that fact is the case of Darren Sharper. And we all know what Darren Sharper did and was convicted of doing and is now serving a prison sentence for doing. And there were a lot of people, fans and media alike, here in Wisconsin who had a very, very different impression of who Darren Sharper was, because obviously that's not something that's going to come out on the surface. And there were people who felt like they knew him pretty intimately. But when a guy has something like that to hide, whether he's in the public eye and he's a professional athlete, or if it's just a guy who you work with in your office, that's not going to come out in in day-to-day passing and, and daily interactions that you have with somebody. So, while we might think we, we know a lot of these guys and know a lot about these guys, the instances in which we really do are, are really, really few and far between. And I, I think we need to remind ourselves of that sometimes. I think, um, you know, we talk about what he was hiding, but really he wasn't hiding it, right? I mean, it was still on an active Twitter account. Those tweets were still there. Or did somebody yeah. capture them and suddenly bring them back? Well, yeah, I mean, these are tweets that are seven and, and eight years old. And, and some people have a problem with, with whoever dug that up, digging that up. I never really do, you guys. I, I think that, you know, when this stuff is exposed, it's not the fault of, of the people exposing them. It's the fault of the person who actually committed that crime or that act. And, and we heard some of the same stuff here in Milwaukee when Ryan Braun's first, uh, first PED, first failed PED test leak. Right. And people are going, well, why did it leak? Why do we know about this? Why are people reporting this? Why are we even talking about it? And the fact is that it did leak, and he was the one who was in the wrong to begin with. So let's react to that. Now that we know, let's react to what we know and, and, not, and not point a finger at the person who exposed the cheating. And I don't, think, I don't think we should be pointing a finger 
at the person who exposed these tweets by Josh Hader. That's who he was, and he should have to answer questions about who he was. That being said, hopefully that's not who he is, and at some point we forgive and move on and let this thing and let this thing die. But I think that there is a conversation that that needs to be had around an issue like this. I don't think it's something that you just sweep under the rug and and chalk up to youthful ignorance. I guess my point is uh, they were still there. So it wasn't like he was hiding it. It's just sounds like he forgot he ever even did it. It sounds like um, that's it's almost a different uh, a different lifetime ago, you know, for somebody that young. Um, Again, obviously not to excuse it. Sure. Um, so, I mean, given that, it, it doesn't sound like he was hiding anything. He probably doesn't even remember doing it, um, or else they would have been deleted and would have been taken off that account. Um, yeah, and he's he's said a couple of times, both in the immediate aftermath out there at the All-Star Game and then a couple of days ago when he, he met with the media and, and apologized and explained this whole thing, that he says he doesn't he doesn't remember tweeting these things out, but doesn't deny hmm. that it was him either. He, he obviously recognizes that this is, this is a part of who he was back then, even though he doesn't remember specifically sending out these tweets. So, no, they weren't, they weren't necessarily hidden. Uh, maybe it's just something that he thought was in his past and would never really creep up again and, and never deleted the tweets to, to prevent them from creeping back up again because, like I said, he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't vividly remember sending these tweets out, according to him. The gap is four games in the loss column for the Brewers behind the Cubs. Just missed out on Manny Machado earlier in the week. What do you think happens with Milwaukee? I think that David Stearns, is, their GM, is, is out there seeing what, what moves he can make to try and help this team out. And a lot of people, guys, are, are pointing to the pitching staff and thinking that that's where they need to add. Because when you look at that pitching staff, especially the starting rotation on paper, you don't see that name that that pops off the page at you. So a lot of people thinking that the Brewers are out there looking for a starter. We keep hearing Jacob deGrom come up. His availability, depending on what report you want to listen to, is maybe not what it was earlier in the year. And I, I really I really think that if deGrom is on the block, that's a guy that David Stearns, would be interested in because he is not somebody, even though they were mentioned in the Manny Machado rumors, I think that in most cases he's not somebody who's going to look for a rental player. I think he wants guys like you saw them acquire in the offseason with Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Kane, who are going to be here for, for at least two or three years and help them keep that, that window to compete open. So I think that you're going to see them active in the trade market but instead of a pitcher, which, like I said, is what most people are assuming they might go after, you look at that Brewers lineup, and after one through five or on some nights one through six, depending what, what configuration they want to go through in that lineup, it's, it's, it's not very deep. And, and when they've struggled, it's been because they've had trouble putting runs up on the board for long stretches. You look at this stretch that they're in now that started before the All-Star break, and they're hard-pressed to put up more than three or four runs on a given night, and, and that's really what's held them back, and that's that's what cost them the division last year, guys. I, I think that that's the, a, a narrative that, that kind of gets forgotten sometimes. I think people assume that it's pitching with this Brewers team that keeps costing them, but if you, if you dig into the numbers, it's really been the offense, and I think that David Stearns needs to do something to address the production that they're getting, especially from the middle infield. They're, they're near the bottom of the rankings in terms of the offensive production they're getting at second base and shortstop. And I think that's something that needs to be addressed if this Brewers team wants to try and keep pace with the Cubs or, or sneak into the playoffs through a wild card. And if they want to make any sort of deep playoff run, 
we all know that runs become harder to come by in the postseason, and a lineup that only goes one through five is not going to get it done in terms of a deep playoff run. Visiting for a final couple minutes with Rami Mukluf, co-host of the big show on Milwaukee Sports Radio 105.7. Do they have enough ammunition to do both? I mean, you talk about uh, help in the lineup. They obviously need pitching help. Do they have enough to get both done? They have a deep farm system. Um, they don't have a top-heavy farm system in the sense that they don't have, to, 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 to use an example that you guys would know, down there in Chicago, they don't have the Anthony Rizzo's and Chris Bryant's or, or Kyle Schwarber's in their in their farm system. Those guys who are you know top ten in Major League Baseball, who are almost surefire to to hit on the next level. They don't have a ton of those guys, or to put it into Milwaukee terms, they don't have the Ryan Braun's and the Prince Fielders. But they do have a deep farm system of good talent. It's just a matter of how much does David Stearns want to want to dig into that to try and win now rather than to sustain this success and, and keep a deep farm system. I think, I think that's more along the lines of what you'll see Stearns do. He's willing to make some moves to help bolster this team, but I don't think he's going to mortgage too much of the future. So I think one, maybe two moves between now and the trade deadline is what you'll see from the Brewers, but not the type of moves where they're going to be giving up the, the few guys that they do have amongst the, the, the highly ranked players in Major League Baseball's prospect rankings. They have Keston Hira, who's a second baseman. I think that's, that's a guy a lot of teams will be asking about, and he can really, really hit you guys. But I don't think they're, they're going to be too willing to part with him. Corbin Burns, who you just saw come up to, to the Major League roster to help here in the last couple of weeks, he's a pitcher that a lot of teams are asking about, and that's reportedly – the guy who was the sticking point in the Manny Machado deal. They weren't, they weren't willing to part with him, so I can't imagine if they weren't willing to part with him for Manny Machado that there are too many guys out there on the trade block who they'd be willing to part with Corbin Burns for. So I think you'll see them try and make a move, but I don't think it'll be the type of move where they're investing a lot of their future to get a guy to help them right now. Rami, thanks so much for your time. Great stuff. Really appreciate it. We'll catch up with you again. Anytime, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Rami. Rami Mukluf of Sports Radio 105.7 in Milwaukee. I mean, we don't we don't know who Josh Hader is. We don't know what's in his heart. We don't know what he thinks, what he believes, who he likes, who he doesn't. But you could say that probably about I don't care who you're talking about. Anytime, everybody. Anytime I hear someone say, "Oh, they're they're a really good guy," I, say, eh, I don't. I don't feel comfortable agreeing with that because yeah, I don't know. You don't know for sure. Uh, I, you know, the the guy tweeted some really bad stuff. I mean, really bad, offensive, disgusting, hurtful stuff. There's no disputing that. Uh, is his apology sincere? It would seem so. Are his teammates accepting of it? It would seem so. Does he appear to be, by his words, a different guy than he was? It would seem so. Most of us are between 17 and 24, but I'm not saying it's okay at all. Yeah, no, I don't think you are. Um, But it's, uh, you know, who's to say, who's to know. He has done the right things. I thought baseball handled it appropriately. Mm -hmm. I didn't think a suspension was, was worthy of something that occurred, you know, many years ago when he was not a part of Major League Baseball. Agree. Uh, We'll see. You know, hopefully, hopefully he's a different guy, and he continues to be a different guy, and you know, we'll see what happens.
That is Joe Ostrowski. I'm Barry Rosner. Coming up next, we will definitely uh, do more White Sox, and uh, we'll get to the Cubs as well with Bruce Levine here on Hit and Run on the Score. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.